Welcome to the APL Next Ed Minipod, where for a few minutes each week, academic leaders share insights and perspectives on the most important issues and opportunities facing academic teams. Learn how other schools are managing and strategizing for success as your host, CEO and founder of APL Next Ed, Kathleen Gibson, gathers and connects practical seeds of knowledge and experience from her guests. Hello, and welcome to APL Next Ed Minipod. This week, we're going to be talking to Patty Pelletier, who is the Senior Director of Learning and Leadership Community at Purdue University Global. To this role, Patty brings 17 years of experience in higher education and over 35 years of management and leadership experience with specialties in administration, e-learning, human resource development, and much, much more. I'm excited to continue our conversation that we began last week around the priorities and strategies and innovations that are happening in teaching and learning centers across the country. So welcome, Patty. Hello, Kathy. It's really nice to spend time with Patty, who in addition to all of her many credentials is a great colleague and friend. And so I'm excited to hear from Patty about the really innovative things that Purdue University Global has been doing for a long time as it relates to teaching and learning support. And so I'll start by asking the question, as you reflect on the last couple of years in particular, and the strategies and priorities that have been established by the institution to support faculty through the formal channel of a teaching and learning center, how have uh, those priorities and how are those strategies perhaps evolved or shifted due to COVID? It's a good question since we're an online university, and uh, I don't know that we shifted too much. Mm -hmm. Um, I I do think there is some shift, but our main priority in teaching and learning first for our new faculty is to make sure they're comfortable in the environment. And I believe many people would feel the same way if they weren't in this environment because of COVID to begin with. And online learning, since we've been there, you know, we We know what we need to do to get our new faculty ready to teach and comfortable with the environment because they're the experts in their field, but they might not be experts in technology. And and we focus a lot of time with that for our new faculty. Of course, different when you have seasoned faculty, but I think we do focus a lot there. Uh, So maybe I can give you some insights for others that are are having some challenges there for COVID. That hasn't changed for us. That is a a big focus to make sure faculty are prepared to deliver what they know as experts in an online classroom. So I think you raise an interesting point. Many of our listeners are probably coming out of teaching and learning centers or institutions where these sorts of resources may not have been available to faculty in an online context before. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk a little bit about sort of As someone who may be uh, preparing to or setting priorities around making resources more accessible, you know, in a time when we're having hybrid work situations and we're having some face-to-face offerings and some online in many of the traditional campuses uh, and at those colleges and universities, what might they do to maybe learn from schools who for a long time have made these resources available digitally and online, uh, what might they do to sort of prepare to deliver and and to meet the needs of their faculty in a way that is in a hybrid or online sort of context? That's the challenge, right? 
I, I don't know how often I go searching for things, even though I put it where it belongs, right? And it's like, where is that? <laughs> so what we do for our faculty is provide a central location for everything that involves faculty. We call it our, our uh, Center for Teaching and Learning website. The resources any faculty would need for any kind of instruction or even informational, if, if, as being a faculty member, they could find in that website. And it's a searchable website so that they can go and, and find if, if they needed to know how to navigate the platform, the, the learning environment that we, we use, uh, they would be able to figure out how to do that. If they needed to figure out um, how, do, how do I get library resources for my students, they could find that. Uh, and then also have school sites that have different resources that's all also there. And then, you know, further, they could search anything and get what they need through the, the university as a whole. So to do teaching and learning, we have works workshops central. Currently, it is moving. It's moving to our faculty management platform, so that we can follow our faculty members from higher through their development, uh, and then assign additional teaching and learning activities to wherever they're having a little bit of a challenge that they can develop more in that area and, and then go forward. But all of those are asynchronous. They can take a workshop. We are able to update their professional development after they take that workshop and they don't see us. They don't know we're in the background recording that they have done this and following that, the, you know, the increase of their development as they are finishing these workshops and those kind of things. That's interesting. So these workshops that you're offering, are these topical? Are they onboarding? Are they based on maybe a level of experience that a faculty might be bringing? Yes, there's all, all different levels of workshops. It can be a refresher, for instance, in an online environment, you have a discussion area where, where your students are having a conversation about a, a specific topic. If you've had someone that hasn't uh, been teaching for a few months or needs a refresher because they're struggling a little to engage students, we have an hour workshop for uh, discussion board and best practices. And we have those for all the different components that happen in an online environment. It could be something um, like being a remote learner or a, re a remote person and how you can best do that and be able to manage your time as a remote learner. A lot of people have had to learn how to do that. Mm -hmm. And we do have people that have come to us that have never been a, an online faculty member and, and now are with us and have to learn how to be that remote learner. Uh, it can be implicit bias. So, I mean, it ranges uh, with different type of topics, depending on where each one of those faculty members might be in their development as, as a faculty member. And I'd like to add, it's not only faculty, because if you are working, say, in career services or you're working in scheduling, anyone can take any of those workshops, depending, you know, some of the topics might not be ones that they want to, but implicit bias goes for everybody, uh, and they could take that as well. That, so that brings up a perfectly, uh, perfect segue to my next question, which is really around how do the priorities of the institution and even the mission of the institution, perhaps, uh, or the, the goals or um, 
you know, kind of established strategies for a five-year plan or something, how do those help inform what you're offering through the teaching and learning center and specifically perhaps even around this, these workshop topics? We definitely serve adult learners. It's not the traditional 18 to 24 year old or, you know, in that group, not that we don't have that aged person. We do. Uh, but the, the majority of our, our students are adults with many different obligations in their lives, families, full-time jobs, many different things that a traditional student might not have. So when we develop trainings, we think about that and what is the best way to deliver it. We do do different types of delivery methods so that we can meet different people's needs. Uh, we also, if we do a live event, we'll do it at different times of day because we have people that are working. They're not going to be attending a uh, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning event. So we have evening, sometimes weekend, depending on uh, what the topic is and what the need of our, our, uh, our, our faculty might be. So the asynchronous and synchronous opportunities is, is one way we meet that because we have a very large population of adjunct faculty and they also, they're practitioners in the field. And, and as you ask about mission, that's what we're preparing our students to be into their own careers. And so our faculty are practitioners in the field and they are giving them that practical knowledge that our adult learners need. So we're helping our, our faculty be able to balance that as well and get our students where they need to go. So really understanding your mission and understanding the students you're serving really drives the way in which you're training your faculty, the mm -hmm. way in which you're offering uh, workshops and other sorts of resources. Are there other initiatives or other goals that the institution have has that are driving kind of the content agenda or the content uh, roadmap for putting together these workshops? Yes, absolutely. I'll give you an example that I think will fit with, with what you're asking. A couple of years back, we identified that our learners were changing. And that was especially when we became part of the Purdue system, our learners were changing and we needed to have a better understanding of who our learners are, but it's difficult when you don't walk into a classroom and, and you see who's sitting in the seats and how do you do that in an environment like ours and do it well. So what we did was create a diversity series. And when people hear diversity series, they're thinking of something different than what we did. And this was a step like type of initiative and we're still working on it. But the first part of, of it was the very, very basics of diversity of our students. Uh, for instance, uh, ed educational background, right? Because all of our students have a different educational background, especially as adult learners. They could have never gone to school after high school. Mm -hmm. They could have an AS degree, which is a large portion, portion of who we have. They could be a, a second degree seeking. They already have a bachelor's degree going to a career change and getting a master's degree. So many different types mm -hmm. of educational backgrounds. And how do you find that out? And how do you use open-ended questions to be able to understand who the learners are and then be able to deliver that meets all of their needs, which then that's the challenge. I actually created the first one. It's asynchronous and asynchronous. So we did both. And we walked through how you would provide an environment for your students and ask the right questions to get the information you need 
to be able to help them where they are within their educational backgrounds. And that could be quite different between a master's degree person or, you know, getting right. a second degree or someone that's never had any college experience. Right. Yeah. Even and we have many others. So socioeconomic background, we had developmental and intellectual. We all are in different stages and, and no different information. And, and so that sounds a little different than the diversity that we talk about right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was the beginning of, of uh, our diversity series. It was nine, nine different trainings into that one series. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you, you raise a great point, which is, you know, having taught myself, even face-to-face in the classroom, there were tools that I was comfortable using uh, that I used year after year to ascertain, first of all, kind of where the student had come from, but also what their goals were and where they were going. And that kind of gave me a roadmap or a perspective on how to prioritize topics in, in my syllabus and uh, how to engage students around applications and meta-learning and that kind of thing. And so it does seem like it's very key and probably like you suggest a little bit more challenging to do that when you're, you know, when you're in an online context. So providing ways, tools for faculty to have this information uh, to inform their teaching, you know, seems like a, a really great idea. It's all about awareness. Mm-hmm. You have to really be aware of, of what you need to know to be able to adequately meet the needs of each one of them because they're all different. Right. So you mentioned um, bias a little while ago uh, in a different context. And um, is this part of what you're covering in the series as well? Implicit bias? Implicit bias is n- our next priority. And we are working on that now. And there's, I think there's steps. And at least the way we have identified it is that, you know, you have diversity. There's three parts as far as we've seen. First part we've done, educational backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds, military backgrounds, all of those different aspects that make up our students. The next one is is implicit bias, understanding that we all have biases and what our uh, however we've been raised, that's part of our wiring. And we don't think about it. It's the awareness of being able to understand that we do have these differences and this is the way we think and understand and be aware that other people have the same thing and they think differently as well. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having difficult conversations is, is something that I think kind of go hand in hand with, with that. So that's where we are in the second step of what we want to do in teaching and learning. And then the next step is the difficult conversations. Um, how do you talk to other people and use the correct pronouns and, and understanding pronouns and, and what they mean to individuals um, and being able to be aware of that? And, and then there's gender identity. So then you're getting in more of the more difficult um, conversations and, and those cultural conversations and everybody, um, I don't think you can get to that third step because we all want to talk about those things, but you can't do that until you really start to become aware, understand everybody has all of these different things that make up who they are, and then understand that you also have a lot of different things that make up who you are and be comfortable to have the conversations. So, so that's, we're, we're right into the second step, getting into the third one um, right now. What important um, content you're creating. I mean, I've had more than one faculty share with me 
you know, that they're afraid almost of what they might say in the classroom that might trigger, you know, and then there may be this defensiveness that, oh, this is, you know, the snowflake generation or, you know, whatever sort of derogatory terminology might be used. But I think a lot of it stems from just this fear of, I may unintentionally say something that my motives were pure, but, you know, the way I'm saying it, I'm not aware of the implications of it, but there are implications. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, this is challenging. I mean, this is a cultural shift. This is, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, being able to have some resources and training and also some conversations about this has got to be tremendously valuable to your faculty. Absolutely. Um, We went through an entire process trying to figure out where exactly we need to have training. We even asked our students and they also said, we need some training. We all need training. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And as well as our students, because they have a preconceived idea of what a classroom should look like and what we should talk about. And in some ideas and discussions start to become part of who these other people are and, and how do you deal to, deal with it as a student and deal right. with them respectfully. And it's all about setting up that safe learning environment, which it should be, and being able to have those conversations. We have to prepare them for their careers. And when they go out into their careers, the same thing's going to happen. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it sounds like very much the mission of the institution, the students you serve, the sort of priorities that are getting established through surveys, through perhaps just awareness of changing times Mm -hmm. are really driving your content creation agenda as it relates to resources. Are there any other areas that are sort of, you know, blinking brightly on the radar that are, you know, sort of calling out for content creation or for someone to address them? you know, as, as sort of a, a new or perhaps even evolving need that faculty have as it relates to this sort of support? I do, I do know that we've identified that we want to have a more robust, continuous professional development plan for our faculty. And, you know, it starts with new faculty orientation where they learn the ins and outs of, you know, the environment and, and what we do at Purdue Global. But after a while, new things come in and um, you need refreshers. And especially lately, when we've had so many things change, we need to have more opportunities for um, engagement or just awareness activities of understanding what's happening in our society and in other university settings. And so we need to have a diversity professional development that all faculty could take so they can be aware that's we're planning on that. We also need to be able to have a, you know, if you have a seasoned teacher, well, how do I get better? Mm-hmm. And, and what are some of the tips that others might have and get more, I hate to say training or, or professional development is more of this, a bunch of, of wonderful people coming together and having a discussion on what is it that you do that works And what can I do that I can share with you and you do the same with me. And we see how they work into, to what we are doing right now. We're, we're isolated in a way 
because all of us are so spread out and sharing of ideas of faculty in a traditional setting, you can sit in a room and go, well, you know, I did this and it worked in just a water cooler kind of chat. And, and we need to be able to have those types of opportunities to be more aware and, and experiment with other ideas. We're working on more of a series kind of thing where you have your new faculty and then you have refreshers and these kind of conversations that people can take more best practices into what they're already doing. I was going to ask that. And I, again, I think, you know, the kind of faculty that you are resourcing are different than most full-time faculty at mm-hmm. an institution who, you know, may know their way around the campus, you know, know how to navigate the systems and the information and so forth. Um, and may also have developed even in their own buildings or in other sorts mm-hmm. of forum for I, places where they can have these sort of informal connections. Are you doing anything to build, co- you know, kind of learning cohorts so that there can be this exchange that happens uh, as they're, you know, as they're being onboarded as a first year faculty or as they're, you know, maybe, you know, doing their, um, the recharge or the reskill 10 years in or something like that, so that there can be these sort of organic exchanges? I think we do several different things. Uh, one's coming up, so I'll have to say that one because uh, our, our manager of teaching and learning will not be happy with me if I do not. And we have a conference every year for the entire university, and it is on best practices. And we have a call for proposals and, and we have the whole Purdue system is able to also present if they'd like. And we have different pillars. I believe we have five of them and it all focuses toward our mission. And for four, four and a half days, we have events, workshops, panel sessions, quick 15 minute, you know, informational sessions and, and all of this focuses around what everyone's doing within the university or within the Purdue system and how someone might be able to use it, what's working for somebody else, maybe some research someone has done. And I think we have, and, and uh, I know Liz is going to say, no, that was the wrong number, Patty, but I, about 40 or 50 different proposals that will accept. And all of, and you get to select and, and depending on your need and depending on your um, experience as a faculty member, you can pick the area that you want to learn more in. And we do that every year. It is presented by the center of teaching and learning, and they also host it. It's all online. So I think that's one large way that we have all of our community come in. Our chancellor usually is our keynote and our provost usually, uh, wraps us up at the end and he goes, it's, it's amazing. I love it. Our chancellor and provost are so engaged. They go to many of, of the events and, and they tie everything they, they talk about as well from the keynote at the beginning to, to our wrap up and what we've learned throughout those, uh, that four days or four and a half days. Um, that's one major way I think. And then we also have started and, and I didn't start it, but our, uh, our lead of the center of teaching learning did and where we have professional development, uh, professional learning communities that are on different topics, depending on the learning um, and like-minded people come together and come within a, a professional community and have conversations. 
mm-hmm. uh, could do research, you know, depending on how that goes, could present together and those kind of things. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm curious about how you, besides maybe those four and a half days and some of these learning communities, how do you instill a sense of cultural belonging, importance in achieving the mission of the institution, engagement, sort of passion around not only one's field, but for the success and the, and the satisfaction of students. How do you sort of bring that or offer opportunities to create that in faculty when, again, most of your faculty are, you know, professionals who are doing this, um, you know, outside of and in addition to very often professional work? How do you help them feel value or understand the value of the work they're doing and understand the, you know, very important ways in which they're really helping to educate the next generation, thus giving them sort of purpose and meaning um, in the work they're doing teaching? It's a very difficult question to answer. I'll give you probably only just, just grazing the surface of that, because for myself, I feel very valued and, and, uh, definitely part of the culture. And I have since I was an adjunct faculty member. And it, I do believe it's, I've worked for many different institutions and not to say any of them who they are, but with who I work with now, from the time I started, I always felt like I was not a number. I was always important. I always could reach out to whoever those were that were in my direct um, community or, or my department or, or whatever. I think one of the reasons that happens is because when we have our goals or our priorities or our objectives for the university, it isn't just this senior leadership objective. You can see how your part, regardless of who you are and what your position is, and how it actually flows to that end result. For instance, I'll tell you about my team and how that happens. For my team, we get together. I know from my direct supervisor, this is what the priorities are for the institution. We get together in my team and say, okay, here's the priorities. How does that fit for you? And how can you help with that priority? And and then they go to their teams, do the same thing. And we are all working toward this, the same goals. Mm -hmm. Of course, the main goal is student achievement, our students are are our main goal in their experience. And so they succeed. Of course, we have, you know, those, those priorities, which might differ every year, but that, I think that's the main reason because you can see how your little puzzle piece fits into making the whole picture mm-hmm. and it's just not random. It's really purposeful. Unfortunately, I think sometimes when I worked in other institutions, the puzzle was thrown up in the air and I was just somewhere and I didn't really understand how my part actually accomplished the end goal. And that's only, like I said, grazing the surface because I internally, I feel so much of a part. And I know my colleagues the same way. We feel very much a part and valued. So it seems like you guys are fortunate because there's a very collaborative kind of inclusive culture mm-hmm. that that is part of the nature of the institution, which is great. I mean, because to your point, I don't think this happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it also sounds like there are practical kinds of things that happen 
in breaking down mission into priorities and goals Mm -hmm. that then get broken down and sort of disseminated across the various parts of the institution so that these connections are obvious, right? So that you see how, you know, these three goals are very much connected to, Mm -hmm. you know, either priorities or mission. And then you've got that practical sort of understanding of the value of your work and being a part of achieving, you know, a a bigger goal or um, uh, an aspect of your mission. How specifically does the work of the teaching and learning center, you think, do you think, how does it support that culture and, and bring that culture to faculty specifically surveys or social, or, you know, maybe it happens as a part of your best practices conference where, you know, people are being brought into the conversation about the current goals and priorities and mission and, or are helping to develop the next set of priorities and goals. What are the specific ways in which you're kind of engaging and bringing the faculty into the conversations? I think it starts before they become the faculty. I really do. People remember how you have treated them and how they feel when they're going through the very first experiences. Part of what I do is a faculty uh, onboarding. And I have a, a wonderful person that does that. And she, she makes sure she knows everybody by name. She understands uh, the process very well and helps them through because it's not an easy process, you know, starting a new job and in a position, there's so many things to learn. Right. Uh, and then that handoff goes to the new faculty orientation, which we have a wonderful individual that oversees that, which takes the time. And, and make sure that they understand and also back to knows their name, knows who they are and, and uh, continues to follow them and support them. And then it is a, a, uh, I like to say a handshake instead of a handoff with mm-hmm. the academic chairs, which we work directly with. And then you have that uh, smooth transition. And that's one area we're working on to even make it smoother. Mm-hmm. Then they have a mentor typically, which will help them then through their first courses. So it's, it's that supportive nature, I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that, that helps start to build that, you know, these people care about me and, and then they, and we, we tell them about who we are and what we stand for and what we want to achieve and what our purpose is. And the main you know, goal of our, our students is to help them achieve their goals and what that faculty member has in, in part of that, because they're bringing in that expertise to be able to help those students get there, which doesn't come out of a textbook. Textbooks are great. Theory is great. All of it's wonderful, but the faculty are the ones that have that practical knowledge. And I think they really do understand that that's, you know, what they're contributing to help with that goal to get them to their diploma. Yeah. I mean, you, I, I have always had such respect for adjunct faculty, right? Because their motivation is so much about, you know, educating the next generation of professionals in their field. And it's, it's a sacrifice, quite frankly, to teach on top of, you know, doing your professional work. Mm-hmm. But um, the, I think the best faculty in those contexts are the ones that are so passionate about their fields and so passionate about the next generation of practitioners in their fields that 
um, you know, having a, an environment like the one at Purdue Global where they can be respected and uh, valued for that significant contribution they're making into the student's life and therefore, you know, into the mission of the institution and that they're going to have an easy way to find the resources they need when that happens and to have resources sort of dedicated to them in the form of a mentor, in the form of a cohort um, has got to be incredibly valuable to attracting those best and brightest sort of practitioners to teach and then, you know, encouraging them to remain with the institution um, so that they can continue to impact the success of students and their future careers by, by bringing that practical knowledge. So it seems like in this time when we've talked a lot about adjuncts over the last you know, 20 or 30 years, maybe one of the conversations we fail to have is the tremendous value that they bring and the ways in which institutions uh, ought to be uh, thinking about how we resource them, how we make them feel a part of achieving the mission of the institution and how we recognize those contributions and show that the value that they're bringing, you know, is significant. Absolutely agree with you, Kathy. And we do applaud those that uh, do exceptional work in many different ways. And, uh, we are, we have one coming up, uh, that is, we have awards and it's coming up in November and, and we try to recognize as many people as we can. Sometimes it's with special awards and those kind of things. Uh, but then we also do little write-ups in our newsletters. We have a Monday, uh, communication that goes out and, and we add those things to that communication. So people understand what these, these wonderful people are doing, not just, teaching with us and, and our students, but in their primary, their, their real life, right? Their mm -hmm. first job. Um, it, it's just amazing the, the talent that comes in with adjuncts. My degrees when I was younger, if, you know, say I was going to be a nurse and I was actually learning under a nurse that's actually there every day and in COVID, especially to understand the feelings and, and how it feels for the patient. You can't get that unless you have the person that's living it and a book can, you can read it, but you're not going to feel it. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's what you get from those adjuncts that are working in the field. Yeah, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. So this has been a terrific conversation. I'm so grateful for your time and obviously also for your friendship and being able to count you as a dear colleague and, and peer. I love what you guys are doing and how student-centered you are and how faculty-centric you are. Um, I think there are some real practical tips that many are going to find valuable. I, it's, it's very significant what you're doing around these three topics that you know, aren't easy to deal with, but that are resources that are going to be absolutely vital to faculty as they navigate teaching spaces, you know, over the next several years, this, uh, you know, the diversity, the implied bias and the difficult conversations, um, you know, how wonderful that you're willing to tackle these things and, you know, not just say, well, this is too difficult for us even to address. So we'll just sweep it under the carpet and let the faculty figure it out for themselves. Um, you're taking the risk and going to, I think, garner the benefits of, of yourselves even being willing to, to tackle these issues. So I think great incentive and great inspiration for others who, you know, may have been thinking, uh, these are some things we need to do. I'm sure Patty wouldn't mind uh, having you reach out to her and, and share 
ask her questions or or learn more about their initiatives around these these three very impactful areas. So as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anything in closing you want to say about the topic we've covered or anything else? The only thing I would say in closing, I think, is that if you have faculty and say they they uh, are working online and teaching online and someone thinks it's easy, it's not. <laughs> so I applaud all of those people that are adjuncts and they're online and our full-time faculty that are online because teaching on ground is a little easier. Now there's people not going to believe me, but it is because it's 24 <laughs> seven. So everybody that's working online, whether they're new or not, I definitely applaud them for taking that initiative and doing that. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. And uh, thank you all listeners for joining us today, for tuning in. If this is your first week listening to the podcast, please be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or iHeartRadio. We release a new episode each week in two formats, a podcast and a video. So you're welcome to learn from our guests in either forum or format. You can visit us at aplnexted.com slash podcast to access the full library of mini pod episodes and read more about our guests like Patty Pelletier. Thanks so much, Patty, for being with us. This was terrific learning and we're grateful for your time. Love to be here, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you to today's guest and thank you to you, our listeners. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. We hope the APL Next Ed Minipod is a helpful resource to you and your teams. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your colleagues. The APL Next Ed Minipod is brought to you by APL Next Ed, the leading academic operations platform helping academic teams connect and collaborate in one place. To learn more about how APL Next Ed is helping schools streamline academic operations, visit aplnexted.com. <laughs>